How would you like to improve your relationship? How would you like to respond differently in a way that facilitates mutuality and encourages connection? We look forward to addressing these issues together and welcome you to Ask Arlo, a program that seeks to help you identify negative patterns and respond in new ways that can promote a more positive relationship. Now, here is the host of Ask Arlo, Arlene Majorano. Hello, everybody. My name is Arlene Majorano, and this is my guest, Kelly Intrilligator. Uh, we are both um, parents, given the topic of this podcast, uh, Baby Makes Three. And we are both therapists trained in gestalt therapy we, who have a lot of experience working with individuals and couples who have given birth to one child or more. So, uh, and we, we, we want to share with you our knowledge about the impact a precious child has on a couple. <laughs> okay. So the first thing, and, you know, Kelly, join me. I, I want to talk about the fantasy. The fantasy of having a child is fabulous. Like we, we're so excited. Um, I, we, we are so anticipatory. We are so in love before this child is even born. Mm-hmm. And um, I actually have a memory that I'll never forget of walking down, I think it was Third Avenue to the hospital where I was going to give birth. And just the excitement, the anticipation, holding my husband's hand, um, eager to give birth to this precious little being that was going to be born. And um, there's even a funny uh, quote, not a quote, but a, like a, a scene in an Ethan, in the Coen brothers, the Coen brothers have a movie called Raising Arizona. And there's this scene where the, the uh, parent is in front of this like huge uh, delivery room with all the baby not delivery room but what is that called where the babies are all collected nursery (laughs) the nursery (laughs) and all the babies are wearing their like red and blue and white little like wrappings and they're all like the only thing that sticks out is their head and they're all like bald and they all look exactly the same (laughs) and this one couple comes and they actually go to the wrong baby. They pick up the wrong baby. And they're like, oh, I love you so much. You're my baby. But it isn't their baby. But it doesn't matter because the anticipation, the eagerness, the excitement, the, the need to be in love um, belong to whichever baby they picked up. And, of course, they figured it out later, I hope. But um, I always remember that when I go to a nursery and I see. And plus, it was my kids, my grandkids. They all look the same. <laughs> But not, but the one that you <laughs> are going to fall in love with belongs to you. So it, it's a pretty, it's a pr- funny scene from the movie, but it's also a funny reality that um, we fall in love. We project all our love. We project onto this little child that barely has a personality yet. And, um, and then we so we have all this fantasy, all this excitement, all this anticipation. And um, you want to add anything to that, Kelly? Well, just as you're mentioning all of these things, the fantasy, the falling in love, all of our hopes and dreams and wishes, I'm just very aware of how heavy that can also feel. So much hope and wishes and time, effort, money, you know, especially with you know, people are facing infertility issues um, that 
you know, the fantasy is there, but even the fantasy itself can be just as big and heavy and overwhelming, I think, as I think what the reality ends up being, which right, is right. <laughs> a lot. Um, but yes, that that moment of, you know, this is my child. I created this, this miracle, this, as you described, precious child in this world. And, you know, and then when you go and then you get sent home from the hospital and realize, <laughs> oh, right, right, right. <laughs> wait a minute, I'm supposed to keep this loud, smelly weird looking thing alive. <laughs> and I, I remember it was terrifying. Right. Right. And, yeah. and overwhelming. Right. Cause oh I, cause it, when you get home, the reality sets in, right. So this baby is like this little helpless being, it needs absolute undivided attention. Initially we're probably pretty anxious and worried. Um, the tasks are overwhelming. Um, the tasks are exhausting. We don't sleep, especially if you're a mother breastfeeding, Um, and you know, there's nothing kind of to describe the exhaustion that sets in, right. And the feeling of overwhelm that sets in and the reality that sets in. I've often said that I don't know how I came into existence because I'm a second child and I only have one child that the amount of exhaustion and also my daughter and hi, Avery, if she ends up listening to this, um, she wanted me to say hello, of course, (laughs) you know, everything is about her, um, that uh, she was colicky as a baby as well. So I remember just this feeling of how do people willingly decide to do this for a second, third, fourth, (laughs) however many times. And more often than not, that is the case. So there is something about, despite the exhaustion, despite the, I mean, just being thrown into, I think the hardest job while our bodies are recovering, while we are sleep deprived, we choose to do it over and over and over again. And I think that that is just miraculous. Yeah. And amazing. Right. Yeah. I mean, some of it is probably, there's a lot of uh, family pressure. There's a lot of maybe religious pressure, cultural pressure. That that part of there is in there, but Mm -hmm. then there's maybe also internal uh, desire and, and, you know, we, did you say you were a, um, an only child or you? you I have a sister. I'm the, I'm the second child. So I have an older sister. Because I think there's also some innate wish to maybe reproduce our family of origin. So then if we were an only child, it might be easier to have an only child. But if we have multiple siblings, Mm -hmm. we might might think that's the norm. Yeah. And Um, interestingly, I think, and I've, I've, I've heard this a lot from my clients as well, is there's something about repairing, um, I think, the family dynamics of what we grew into. So for example, um, People that are only children want many children when they start and have their own families and the opposite. People that come from, you know, two, three, four siblings say, oh, one and done, or I only want two. So I think it's so interesting how we both want to create the family that we feel drawn to creating. But then also there's something about repairing things that we've learned, things that we've experienced by influencing our families and making them sizes and be in ways that we didn't experience ourselves. Right. Right. Of course. Yeah. yeah so it could work either way. Right. It's complicated. It's <laughs> so complicated. Yeah. And, you know, we're talking about how, um, how overwhelming the birth of the child is, but let's not forget the pregnancy itself. I mean, what a condition, right? That woman <laughs> electively choose to be in. A, a delicate condition, <laughs> as, as you know, 
<laughs> of a history, I think, uh, would say they used to call it, you know, the delicate, delicate condition. condition. Yeah. And you may not remember it or you may not know the first time around, like you're saying, but the second time, the third time, you know what you went through and you, and you choose to do it again. It's kind of, I, I even remember my, my first pregnancy, it was so hot one day and I was dying in the ninth month. So I like, I was desperate. So I sat against a fire hydrant because it was cold and I was so happy, but all these people kept coming over to me. Are you okay? Are you okay? And I was like, Oh no, 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 I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm happy. <laughs> Leave me. See, and they say in New York, people don't stop. Look at that. <laughs> no, there you go. I had a yeah. lot of, a lot of offers, but I just <laughs> wanted to lay on the fire hydrant against it, not on it, but yeah. Um, yeah. So it's quite a, quite a, a drama that we go through in pregnancy sometimes. I mean, most of the time. Oh, absolutely. I mean, just your body that you've had all of your life is suddenly not just yours. It's, right. it's, I mean, when you, I really wrap my head around it, it's, it, it is hard to like conceptualize or grasp it. Right. <laughs> that, and, and, um, not understanding necessarily like is this normal is this okay is this is this little twinge of pain i had is that is that the worst thing i could imagine or is it gas <laughs> or is it this and so it's um i i i remember when i was i would say after actually i had had my daughter the feeling of how each step of the way really did in some way prepare you for what was to come like the insomnia that comes in the third trimester i was like well this is perfect practice for sleepless nights and worrying about every little thing that's a perfect practice for motherhood and parenthood so yeah. it's amazing how our bodies just prepare ourselves for it our minds as well and it is amazing how the urge to parent and to reproduce our parent our you know parents our family our parent is is it it's just a it's an incredible urge and mm -hmm. um Many, most of us, many of us do it. Yes. And um, I, I would have to say I'm certainly not sorry and not even for one speck of a moment am I sorry, but I always say you get what you pay for. So I have, and everyone has these wonderful, magnificent, precious children and grandchildren even, but you know, you get what you pay for. It's a lot of work, a lot of energy, uh, a lot of time. And um, that's the deal. <laughs> Yes, I, I think that it's such a great example of that, of, you know, the, the effort put in, I, I think the hope is that, you know, that you end up getting, let's say, the love, the the support, the, the connection that we're looking for. And I think it's hard because it's still uncertain. I think we, I, I know personally, you know, we, you can try everything or do everything that you can do and then like I think so many things, so many other things, like there are no guarantees. Right. There are that, no guarantees. So it's, it's, uh, and yet we willingly choose to do that, which again, I just find amazing because we tend to, let's say, avoid uncomfortable or pain or discomfort. And yet when it comes to starting or having a family, growing a family, we run right into that. <laughs> it's amazing. Right. Right. So the urge must be extremely powerful. Yes, life finds a way. It's funny because sometimes I tell the story of my, my little son when we were running to school and we were late and uh, I was rushing and panicking. And, and he said to me, 
mommy, it's so much fun being your boy. It's like being in an action movie. (laughs) (laughs) And then he said, when I grow up, can I have my own boy? (laughs) So he, I don't know, whatever the joy was at that moment, or I don't know if it was joy, but excitement and energy. When he was like about eight years old, his feeling was, oh, I want to have this. I want to reproduce this. It was very cute, but uh, (laughs) um, doesn't say much about my capacity to organize skillfully and calmly, but it was very cute. But he enjoyed it. He enjoyed it. (laughs) That's what matters. (laughs) An action movie. Exactly. Um, So then, but so speaking of the reality, there was one article we read and they came up with an interesting statistic. And I don't Mm -hmm. know where they got that from, but they said uh, there's 180% of work that has to be done. And each person does 90%, but each person feels I'm doing 90%. (laughs) You're only doing 10. But the other person is also doing 90% because there's just so much that has to be done. And um, so one of the real problems when when you have a baby, when baby makes three, one of the problems is finding a way to divide the work. I mean, another we'll talk about it also is finding a way to to maintain the connection between the the original couple (laughs) who once were just two. Um, but dividing the work is a really, I don't know, there, there was this funny article in the New York Times just maybe mm-hmm. last week by a divorced mother. And what she said was she got a divorce and suddenly she had her life back because she only had to have her child. She made divorce sound really good. I don't <laughs> yeah, know. She really did. She said <laughs> she only had four and a half days a week or no, four four. Four, am I doing it right? Four days a week, whatever of, of, of her child. Like, and, and, the, and it wasn't a decision that she and her ex-husband made. It was mandated by the court of whatever state they were in. And it had to be 50-50. The court mm-hmm. says 50-50. And in most states, unless there's a reason like mm-hmm. child abuse, the state will say 50-50 custody. <laughs> So then in her case, because she was divorced, she got like uh, three and a half, four days of, of tri- actual child care. Mm-hmm. And then she had weekends free twice a month. And she had two or three days free during the week. Mm-hmm. And everything else was, was done 50-50, 50-50, you know, school pickup, 50-50 drop-off, 50-50 arranging play dates, whatever. So, you know, her advice to all of us is to pretend that you're divorced. And in order to avoid a divorce, you really like do the 50-50 childcare and each person takes their 50% or 90%, depending on how you ever, (laughs) how you want to do it. Right. Um, And I liked in the article how she did because she, the article really, and I, I, I say in jest that, you know, she made divorce sound really good, but what she really highlighted was that when the boundaries and the division of labor in childcare is clear, there's much less to fight about. Right. And I think right. the hardest part that comes from not having it be court mandated on how to do it is when both sides of the couple are believing that they're doing all of the work, more of the work. And neither will actually acknowledge that hmm, maybe he or she, they do more or less than I do. I think that's where people get really stuck. 
Right, right. Is that it's, well, I'm doing so much and they're doing so little. And if I could just get them to do more than what they're doing. And yet if the other person is having the exact same conversation within themselves, how do we get anywhere? Right, right. You really have to like allocate the tasks. I mean, like, like, like enumerate the tasks mm-hmm. and, and also enumerate the, um, the hours people work at a job. Because um, when you say, I feel like I'm doing, I might feel like I'm doing 90%, but I'm only doing 15%. I don't, mm-hmm. you know, it depends upon your point of view. So people really have to sit down and allocate the task, allocate the hours, mm-hmm. attribute the hours that somebody works as part of the deal. Um, and sometimes two people are working full time, but sometimes it's only one, uh, one of the parents and really, really, really make a, mm-hmm. a strict like court yeah. arrangement, a legal arrangement. Right. And now you bring up something I think that comes up so much that I've really heard with a lot of the people I've worked with. And I think I experienced this as well, which is, if let's say one parent is working and I'm using air quotes um, and let's say, you know, the job that has the salary, the benefits and the other parent is uh, staying at home and a stay at home parent, you know, there comes the, well, that is working too. And I would say that I, I stayed home with my daughter and didn't work for 14 months after I had her. And that was the hardest job I have ever had. And I came back to my, practice, like, please save me all of my patients coming in with, you know, whatever counseling needs they had, because um, I think what ends up being so hard is that how do you equate and divide and let's say um, uh, qualify, quantify, I should say, work when it right. is childcare work. And so I don't know what, if you've experienced any, anything that might be helpful with how to help, you know, because I feel like this does come up so much of, well, he makes more money than I do. And I work less because his job pays more and I can and I have more time to watch the child. It's so tricky. Right, right. Not but not if you really acknowledge that there's equal equal pay for equal work, you know, like that the earning the money is one thing, but raising this child is equal work, you know, mm-hmm. and to really I think it has to be acknowledged that it's equal work Mm -hmm. and that, um, yeah, that there's a certain number of hours that each person has. And if one set of hours is devoted to childcare and the other to earning the income, there's no, you you can't elevate one over the other. And unfortunately, often that does happen. Sure. So acknowledging, I agree though, that acknowledging, you know, that, you know, it is equal work despite the, you know, let's say pay discrepancies. Right. And, them. you know, and it's part like we'll talk about it, I think, more later because I have all these statistics that I looked up. But it has partly to do with, especially in the United States, the United States doesn't give equal child care, you know, um, a, a pay, paid leave to to parents. So it it kind of does diminish by just the fact that that's not done, it diminishes the the value of childcare uh, of the, of the parental the parent who's doing childcare versus the parent who's working, and and also it it's not worth it <laughs> to most companies to say okay you the the you know the 
if it happens to be like the non-birth parent, um, you also get childcare because mm-hmm. you have to share this job that's being done. Um, we don't mostly do that in the United States. There are some p- p- companies that do. Right. But um, it's really, you know, when I compare it to my daughter-in-law who worked for Spotify, she got seven months maternity leave. And so and so did her brother who was, you know, married to someone else, obviously, but he had a baby. And the man, he got the non-birth parent got seven months maternity leave. And that's quite a difference from what we do in the United States where mm-hmm. there's no paid maternity leave. It's really a shocking discrepancy. It really is. And it, it, you know, there is this systemic and, you know, issue with that. And it does, it does end up, it, it, I think that the, unless more companies change, or if it's changes on a a political, a societal level, it keeps happening, unfortunately. And, 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 you know, it is so often, and I find this a lot with the, um, uh, primarily I'll say the mothers in the relationship is they are the ones that are deciding, do I stay home with my child? Do I go back to work? Is it worth it to go back to work if I'm going to spend thousands of dollars on childcare to, and it's interesting that I find the, the fathers that I work with that they don't necessarily have to make that choice. Right. right. So it, it really is hard to, both recognize the practical aspects of it, of course, because, you know, having children is so expensive and, it, you know, being able to afford what we want to and need to is important. And so many emotional factors that come into right. um, that decision. And then with, you know, we're talking about mother, father, but sometimes there's mother, mother or father, father. And we're the, like, we're the innate, you know, gender male dominant role is not part of the couple Mm -hmm. (laughs) and the woman is going to be subservient to the man and the man is going to work and the woman's going to do the childcare. I, again, I don't know um, the validity of these studies, but a couple of the articles we read said that female to female and male, male, male couples, when that gender role is not inherently part of their couple, Mm -hmm. um, the male dominance versus the female submission, um, then they have an easier time doing this. Imagine uh, that. Imagine that. <laughs> <laughs> when one is a more dominant and that, amazing. <laughs> yeah. Allocating work and, work and uh, t- job, job, not childcare tasks fairly. Yes. There's some, yeah. I think, inherent freedom in that, in, in a way. I mean, obviously there are many other, you know, struggles that can come along with that with, cultural bias and things like that. However, I think that that is a wonderful thing and something we could definitely learn from and incorporate. Right. Right. So, um, yeah, I mean, absolutely. And, uh, it's, it's just an interesting factoid that, that that is the truth. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, the other part of this is that, so then let's just say the and again, this might not be as true in same-sex couples as male, female. Um, but if the mother is the one who has the, it's twofold. The mother has the initial child care um, because the, the father doesn't necessarily take maternity leave 
we should, you know, we should, we, we have to, when we get to those countries, it's just kind of amazing with the United States, how, how we stand in relationship to other countries. But then the mother does the primary childcare. It's like twofold. The mother does the primary childcare. The mother bonds more intimately with the child because she's the one who's there, um, whatever, 80% of the time doing 80%, 90% of the, the child care work not sharing it because the, the the other parent is working and um, the child bonds to her. She bonds to the child. And then there's like an inherent like role that evolves from that, right? Where you willingly take on uh, or emotionally take on the job mm-hmm. <laughs> that's been assigned to you. And the, the, um, the, emotional bond is much more intense both ways. The child will then uh, gravitate to the mother and the mother gravitates to the child and the child may gravitate to the mother anyway, mm-hmm. but if they're, if, if, if it's more equal, there's more room to gravitate to the other parent. And um, that's really a, an important part of this that if it's in if it's, if it's learned early and, and embedded early in the nervous system, both ways, it's very hard to then share <laughs> that role equally. Absolutely. I can, the, the, the notion that I can get my needs met by both of my parents, if we're talking about a dual parent mm-hmm. household, I mean, is such an important, I think, internalized belief system of I can and not only I can go to both parents to get my needs met but I can go to others to get my needs met I think that there's something that is you know very um adaptable about that notion and and it's um I think it's a wonderful thing and you know I have like I mentioned a a daughter and she is a very much a daddy's girl and (laughs) and um and I remember it being very hard for my husband when um my daughter was uh, I exclusively uh, breastfed her uh, mainly just because I didn't want to buy formula (laughs) because I wanted to save money so you know (laughs) wonderful reasoning behind there um but it worked and I never ended up having to buy it um and I remember how isolating that felt for him, that he could not soothe her the way that I could. And she never really took to bottles because I didn't want to pump. I mean, it was in some ways I was very much tethered to her and couldn't be away for more than three hours, especially when she was very little. Um, but I remember how isolating and how, how, how much of an impact that had on the connection that my husband so desperately wanted with right, his right. daughter um, and how I just, it was just what I just had it. Um, and I remember when she had stopped breastfeeding and she was someone that just quit one day, like, okay, I'm done. And I think she was <laughs> like 15, 16 months old. And I was like, wait, what? that's it. And she just was like, yeah, I'm good. Um, and I remember how devastated I was mm-hmm. that it was, the, it was something that was ours and it was our special quiet time and it was sweet. And, and to adjust to that and adapt to, we have to connect in different ways now that are not so automatic or instinctual. It was a big adjustment. Right. Right. And amazing how we connect, how we, how, I'm sorry, how we connect, how we, uh, we connect with what's available and then how we really have to work to connect when what is available isn't anymore. Right. Right. Yeah. 
And also, you know, that's partly the, the, the fact that you did all the breastfeeding is partly related to the fact that you, you didn't go back to work. You took like an extended mm-hmm. maternity leave. Yes. Because I went back to work. So I had to pump. I mean, either that or the baby starved to death. <laughs> I, I had to pump and I did. Um, and my husband got to feed bottle feed, you know, when I was not there. But it was it was because I, you know, I didn't take that kind of mm-hmm. extended leave. And also, you know, the other thing, because I, um, I, I kind of talk about this because my, this was like an interesting thing. And I don't know if this, if this emerges in other kinds of careers, but because I'm a therapist, um, I work, I work Tuesday and Thursday evenings. And then I was off on, I made myself be off on Monday and Wednesday and Friday evening, of course, I was teaching most of the time. Mm -hmm. So my husband he had to, um, he was on duty mm-hmm. Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday. And I don't, we didn't do it with the um, aware intention that we were going to share our jobs equally or, you know, it wasn't part of it. It was just, I was working, he wasn't. Let's figure out, you know, like our work schedules. And um, so he basically had, he had to have, he, he was on duty full time. Mm-hmm. Tuesday, Thursday, and often Friday. And um, that was actually a great gift, which Absolutely. we intentionally planned. And, the, you know, the other part of that, because there's another part about, um, you know, taking, um, letting, like sharing the child care is, is about the oversight. So if you're the mother and you've, you've done most of that child care, um, and you kind of know how to do it best. <laughs> and so then you have opinions. <laughs> Never. And, and instruction, <laughs> instructions about this is how you put the child to bed. This is how, when you feed it. This is what you feed it. And um, you, you superimpose that on the other caretaker, the other parent. And um, then you're a big boss. And the other person is diminished. And then you also can get into lots and lots of fights about that. And, the, and I always sort of half jokingly, but this is really a lesson that came from that arrangement my husband and I had, is that I wasn't there. I wasn't there to interfere. I wasn't there to opine. I wasn't there to judge. And when I think about some of the things my husband did with my kids, if I was there, like he, 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 used, he often had takeout food. And I never would use take. I always cook my own meals. He would watch TV with them. I never watch TV. <laughs> but nobody asked for my opinion because I wasn't there to give it and I couldn't give it. And so he had his like precious time with the kids. And they had takeout. Once my little kid, the doorbell rang. <laughs> And my son said, oh, dinner is here. But it was like about 10 o'clock in the morning. No. <laughs> But they had their time. They had their precious connection. Mm-hmm. I could not interfere because I wasn't there, thank goodness. And, um, yeah, I sometimes dread the thought of what if I was there? Ay, ay, ay. But I couldn't be – I wasn't there, so I couldn't interfere. And that was one of the values of having that split time, which, again, was based on being a therapist. And I don't know if other jobs would kind well, of impose that. I think there's something that is, I think that's such a great example also of if 
we are there when the, let's say, other parent is parenting and we correct the other parent, we then become a parent of more than one child (laughs) immediately because we are parenting our significant other. And that is a recipe for no intimacy or passion because you became mommy or you became daddy. And that is, I think, the antithesis to any sort of passion or connection within the relationship because nobody wants to be parented by their spouse right, right. or their partner. Right. So, and, and it, um, and I don't think any partner wants to parent for the most part, their spouse either. Right. Right. But yeah. that, so that maternal instinct comes in and it, it screws things up. <laughs> oh my goodness. And it, it creates so much frustration and resentment. And I will say that comes up a lot with the couples, with the, both the couples that I see and also, you know, the, the, in the parents that I see on both sides, whether, you know, identifying as the mother or the father or in that let's say stereotypical role that, you know, why can't I just do it my way? Or why can't they just do it my way? Right. <laughs> comes right, up right. a lot. And, and it is really hard. And sometimes I will say something as simple as, you know what, if in that, if during that afternoon that your partner is watching your child, what if you went for a little walk? Mm-hmm. What if you, you know, uh, got your nails done, d- decided like go shopping, go do something, go, go to the gym just to not be observing and judging right. and watching. Right. And I think it's important for both parents to have that sort of agency over right. themselves, their time. And also to just, I think, unclench. Right. Unclench. That's a great word. Yeah, That's a, that's a great <laughs> word. Speaking from experience early. because the the truth is that we can, we can have such strong opinions about how things should be done. And if you looked at any number of families, whatever, people have different rules about going to bed, what time, how you do it, different rules about eating, bathing, any kind, all the stuff is not, you know, unless, unless it's child abuse, there's like a wide range of what's possible. And, and if, if your way isn't going to work, it will emerge from the interaction you have with your child and you'll get the lesson from that interaction. Not, you don't need to get the lesson from your other partner. (laughs) You'll get the lesson. If the kid doesn't go to bed, you're doing it your way. You either will stay up with the kid till 10 o'clock at night, or you figure out a way to go to bed earlier or whatever. And um, you know, that the, the answer will emerge from the interaction with the child. And natural consequences are natural a beautiful thing. <laughs> yes. I remember with, um, with diapers, they have um, the ruffles on the, like the, around the oh, leg yeah, yeah, yeah. that kind of cinch the leg a little. And my husband and I love you, honey, if you're listening to this, um, we used to fight about ruffles out versus ruffles in. I was team ruffles out. He was team <laughs> ruffles in because I believe that it uh, kept things in. Whereas he believed ruffles in kept things in and, you know what? Team Ruffles Out won that one when, you know, we had the explosion all over the stroller um, and among clothes and other things. So, you know, sometimes those things do tend to work themselves out. I just got um, a phone. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. And yeah. you know what? 
And so, <laughs> but on the other hand, so the stroller got dirty and he could, <laughs> he could clean it up and um, it wasn't a tragedy. And I definitely didn't say I told you so. <laughs> definitely did not do that. I may have done it. <laughs> yeah. So the answer came from the natural consequence. From the, the consequence. Yes. So what do you find would be helpful with, you know, and I, I hear this so much. And of course, you know, in a marriage with a young child, it's, you know, very hard to both make the time for connection. Um, and I mean that either as, you know, the simple, you know, the intimacy and just like the dating, the friendship between couples and, you know, passion and sex and, and making that sort of special time mm-hmm. and connection mm-hmm. with each other. How do parents keep that connection alive? Yeah, it's very important. Yeah. You know, it's it's um cuz cuz ultimately the um the happiness and the connection between the parents is what the kid sees and what makes the kid have a happy family. Um it it doesn't it doesn't become a happy family if the dialogue and the relational kind of energy just goes from the kid to the parent and one one the mother maybe if that and the other parents left out. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, for, so almost for yourselves, but also in the service of your child, you want to keep your relationship alive. And you know, I always say the way to do that is to to have dates, to like have a mm-hmm. date for sex, and a date for um, you know dinner. And if you have to, if you have, if you're lucky enough to have um, a, a grandparent nearby, you use your grandparent, or if not, you you use some kind of childcare. And um, you have to make the time, you have to make the commitment, you have to make the date. And, you know, people will say, oh, it's so forced to make a date to have sex. But then I say, no, because when you were dating, you made a date. You said, we'll go out on Friday night. You had the date. And then you thought to yourself, wow, we'll probably have sex after we have dinner. And it, it wasn't considered a forced <laughs> obligation. It was like there was excitement to it. There was anticipation. Um, so you have to bring that same excitement and anticipation to That's the such date. Such a great example. Yeah. It is kind of interesting how it mm-hmm. kind of gets twisted around, but we always had a date. And we need to have a date mm-hmm. <laughs> going forward yep. and really make that commitment. And I always say to people, pick the time that you're like, optimally the least exhausted like so for some people that might be saturday night for some people that might be sunday morning Mm -hmm. um but people have to kind of figure out okay with work and childcare and all this stuff like where where can i envision the space to have that time set aside sacred i call it sacred time and yeah absolutely that's a good word for it as well it is sacred um i remember i was in um i was in one of ruella the brilliant Ruella Frank uh, is training and she had um, a guest um, instructor, Michael Miller was there and someone had asked him after his lecture, um, how does he define love? Like what is his definition of love? And I remember, and I'm going to paraphrase, I don't remember verbatim, but he defined love as making the choice to continue paying attention Mm. to the other. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was just so brilliant, but also of course, like there's a choice of I'm making you a priority. I'm choosing to pay attention and find what you have to say interesting and important. And I'm interested in you. And I think that with children and, and in marriage and, and children, 
that there is this, I have so much to pay attention to. I have the kids, the pickups, the soccer, but how can I even imagine paying attention to one other person or thing? But, you know, it, it all does, I think, come back to that, that it is a choice of if I want to feel satisfied, happy and connected, I have to make a choice. Right, to right. Really pay attention. Right. And if the, again, if the relationship is going to thrive and if the family is going to thrive, mm-hmm. because in the end, the family you build is the family is makes it all worthwhile. I mean, when I think about my family and, and then the generations now I have grandkids and like the fact that it makes me cry a little that I, mm. that my husband and I built that is just, it's amazing <laughs> and beautiful and, and, um, but we, you can't build that unless there's collaboration mm-hmm. and attention to the other. And mm-hmm. like you said, um, can't, can't, caring about the person that you love. Mm-hmm. How did he put it exactly? Uh, choosing to continue cho- to pay attention to the choose- other. Paying attention was the word that I really like. The, the, was really? the phrase that really stuck with me was mm-hmm. choose to pay attention and continuing to be interested in what they have to right. say. And of course, we do that naturally with the ch- children that we have. Where, you know, mm-hmm. we don't choose to pay attention to them. Mm-hmm. We just naturally pay attention yep. to everything. What they a do. beautiful drawing! Oh, <laughs> right. look at that! Look how you put your shoes on by yourself. Right, right. It's kind of. Did amazing. you pick up dinner? That's what, yeah. that's what we talk. About. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> Can you tell who I was speaking to in the two scenarios? That there's right, right, right. such that's a different. So but that energy that we give to the child is the energy that we have to give to our partner and they to us because otherwise we don't continue. And, and that's what we did before, mm-hmm. right? before the child came and became yes. the center of attention. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so that's exactly. a great quote. Pay attention, choose to pay attention. And it, sometimes it has to be a choice because the natural choice, the instinct is going to the child. Mm-hmm. But the child can live without attention for a few minutes. Right. Well, and there's intentionality behind it is that it, you know, I think that like everything else that over time we lose the novelty, we lose the, you know, that, ooh, something stimulating and new about what that person is doing and sharing. And there is effort involved right, in right finding that we do it with our clients all the time. I'm interested right. in everything they have to say. Right. Right. It's and not true. because they're paying me, but because I genuinely feel curious and, and engaged in what we're talking about. But right. then at the end of the day, I don't have very much left for <laughs> what significant other wants to talk about it. So it really does. I think there's a, how do I, res- how do we reserve that energy in some way? Right. Um, and because what you're it, saying with your well clients, spent. yeah, yeah, no, it's a good example because yeah. with our clients, we're always open to the to to the new to the mm-hmm. novelty. Yep, and um, it, it, they may be saying some of the same things, but each time they say it, we're open, we're interested, and same with a kid. I mean, like mm-hmm. whatever. How many times can you say? <laughs> oh, wow, you put on new shoes. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do it. It's the same thing, but we bring a sense of novelty to it. And um, yeah, and how do we bring that to the person that we love and that we depend on and that we, um, that's created the safety and security to make all the other stuff happen? Yes. One of the articles that you sent um, had some uh, suggestions. I don't know if there's links or things like that with the podcast that you add or not, but, um, you know, um, 
in one of the articles, it was talking about how to make time and reconnect and keep passion alive. Um, and one of the things it mentioned was, you know, making sure that baby talk, discussing the children is not a part of oh, the day. Oh, no baby talk. That, okay. that it was, you know, that there is, okay, we can kind of, <laughs> let's have a small meeting about it. If let's say we're at dinner and then that's it. Like, back to each other and not just mm -hmm. the human or humans that we right. are in charge of and responsible for. Right. So back to being two, being a couple, being yes. connected, that, having, it's interesting. Yeah. That's yeah. important. I thought that was a good little tip in there. You know, but before we end, I do want to talk about the childcare in different countries because mm -hmm. it's kind of an amazing factoid and ahead, it's, yeah. it's very, um, it's shocking that our country, like with all our commitments supposedly to, and now of course we've ended abortion rights and, you know, the right to have abortion. It, like we've, we've made this like supposed commitment to children and childcare and childbirth. And then a child is born and we dump it, you know, we dump, we don't take any commitment as a country mm -hmm. so apparently there's only there are only this is an article from 2022 so i'm assuming it's correct there's um seven other countries beside the united states that do not have child care and it, it's i don't even tonga palau Nauru, the marshall islands micronesia suriname and papua new guinea very poor countries mm -hmm. and the the wealthy countries all, as in all, have maternity leave of some sort that's that's mandated, and I and what they're saying is in this article, Bulgaria. Check this out: has fifty eight point six weeks of maternity leave, and and I I'm not sure, but a lot of times it's both parents. Um, Greece has 43 weeks, the United Kingdom 39 weeks, Croatia 30 weeks, the Czech Republic 28 weeks. And then different companies have, like I talked to you about mm -hmm. Spotify has six months, um, Netflix 52 weeks, you know, Facebook either, I'm not sure because I looked it up two different ways. Mm -hmm. It could be as much as four months, Amazon as much, maybe as much as 36 weeks, but it may be 20 weeks, but a lot of commitment, a lot of commitment. Um, France has 16 weeks, Italy, 21 weeks. Mm -hmm. I mean, I could kind of go on and on, but you get the point that many, 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 many wealthy countries in the world make this commitment to the parents who are going to be raising their future citizens. And so in our country, I guess, I don't know what to say about it, except that we just have to take into account how people don't have that support. And when yes. a couple fights with each other, <laughs> I mean, just to appreciate that you're doing it really all alone, unless mm -hmm. you have um, maybe grandparents helping, um, you're pretty much on your own and and financially. Right. Or can, can afford childcare, can afford the, you know, in New York City, we're looking at 20 to $25 per hour for right. a babysitter, right. for let's say a date night sitter. Um and, you know, that, that's uh, not counting the cost of the dinner, of the date itself. And that's on, right, on top right. of it. So there is so much also privilege involved in, you know, to be able to have support if it is not um, 
family or if it is not, uh, and I'm doing air quotes again, free, free help with watching children, you know, there is the decision between, well, can we afford it? No. Okay. Well then it looks like we're having another night in of, right. You know, the takeout food that Arlene won't order and <laughs> having a date night inside. And, you know, then if you, if you take that into account, what, you know, the, even if you can, aff- I mean, is it like probably a continuum, but paying for that is enormously stressful. And some, most of these other countries pay for it. They, you know, some of these companies, you get paid leave mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's just a shocking, you know, difference that, and so not sure, except to take into account that the burden on us in this country anyway, is so much greater and the stress is so much greater mm-hmm. uh, that we have to, we have to bear when we're having children. It's, it's together. It's- well, and the divorce statistics, I think would really speak to that. I don't even know what the, what is the percentage now, nowadays for amount of couples that get divorced? Oh, gee, I don't, you know, I don't know. After a child, I, that's a good after, question. Well, especially after a child, that's right. Um, but it makes sense when you look at if it is the hardest job in the world in and one of the most, it is the most important job is raising children and most people doing it, especially in, you know, let's say cities like New York City, where cost of living is incredibly high, that both parents do have to work, um, that it is, uh, oh, I just lost what I was saying there. Well, just the, the, the burden, I think you were saying is so much greater. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> something like that. And you know what? We we assume that it's our like our responsibility or our fault, and we don't. I, I don't know. I just think it's worth um, bear, bearing in mind how mm-hmm. we wouldn't be having this same degree of stress, mm-hmm. yes, mutual stress, if we were living mm-hmm. somewhere else in a different country. It would not be the case. We'd be supported. Yes. Oh, by, that's by right. <laughs> now I remember. Yes, that of course, you know, that people are working jobs as well as having the job of raising a child, uh, right. raising children. And it, I think it's just the the all, the additional job of also being a partner, I think, ends up being the casualty. Right. In that. Because right. it's one that I think can actually be chosen. Like, okay, well, I'm choosing not to continue doing that work if it means that I you know, have time to myself or I don't feel like I'm just working and then coming home and making dinner. It's, I can see where people believe like that New York times article you mentioned earlier. I can see where that idea comes from. Right. That, that was a really funny article though. You know, that just to, <laughs> the moral was, or the message to stay divorced, um, to stay married, to act, stay, like, act like you're, act like you're I, I think there is though something to that. If it's possible to quantify what is quantifiable, and I and I think a lot of couples get into this kind of tit for tat tally system, which I think can also be a slippery slope of I did this, well you did that, and I did this, and and keeping score. So I think that mm-hmm. if it can be, here's what we do, here's what here's what I do, here's what you do. Um, I appreciate what you do. You appreciate what I do. Perhaps making the parameters a little more clear might make that a little easier than just right. everyone thinking that they're doing 
It's funny, it's funny because I, I don't know if this is necessarily necessarily a, a need for everyone, but if you were getting divorced, you'd go to a mediator or two separate lawyers and you'd be forced to figure it out. So, I mean, I mean, maybe go to a couple's therapist, go to, you know, for sure, who could act as a mediator, who could really... Um, could be cheaper. Could be cheaper. Better <laughs> <laughs> divorce attorney and mediators, yep. Yeah, that's yes. really funny. Well, and I think that's a great um, thing to also mention, Arlene, is when would you suggest and what have you found to be most helpful with when should a couple seek additional help in wanting to make it work? And when would you recommend like seeing a couple's therapist? Have you found any things that really highlight that for you? Well, I guess when fighting becomes, and this is sort of obvious, but when fighting becomes the predominant way of communicating and, Mm -hmm. and power and control becomes the predominant variable, um, then, yeah, then it's time to see how are those early childhood traumas being activated. You know, the, the thing is that, like, it's so easy to feel I'm not getting enough. I'm, this is not fair, you know, like, because of that, you know, this 180% of the work and we're each doing 90%. So that if, if, if there's a, a tendency, if, if it's either, an unfair uh, adjudication of of, um, tasks, or if maybe I just think so, you know, if the, when the fighting happens, that fighting can be ugly and nobody fights like couples, right? Mm -hmm. You don't do this. You behave yourself at work. You behave yourself with friends and with our partners. We just like let it loose. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to say if we're letting it loose and we're behaving horribly to each other and we've lost our trust and connection, Mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of an obvious answer to your question, but it's time. Obvious, but I think important to reiterate. Yeah. Yeah, that, you know. It's funny because I always say as a couples therapist, um, like as an individual therapist, I do what you said, right? Like tune in, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, listen, (laughs) be fascinated, interested in the one person. But as a couples therapist, your job is to get people to do that to each other, right? Mm-hmm. It's not your job to necessarily tune in and take a side. It's you that you want them to do it. So I say I'm often a police officer. I'm oh, like, yeah. I'm on the outside mm-hmm. and I'm saying, no, you do that. You listen, you repeat what she said. I, I prefer a referee. A referee, okay. <laughs> but, but it's a very different position than the, the individual therapist that's attuning because mm-hmm. you want yes. them to attune to each other mm-hmm. and... It, it's very hard sometimes to stop that um, like instinctive need to defend yourself and instinctive need to win and be right. It's, it's just the caveman part of us that emerges and um, yeah, it emerges uniquely mm-hmm. in couples and then yeah. it gets activated even more so mm-hmm. when it, when a child is born. And, with all this <laughs> and then we pass it on to our children. <laughs> Here you go. <laughs> I think we're done, right, Kelly? Yeah, thank you so yeah. much for having thank me on. This was here. really fun. Yeah, this was fun. Talking to you. <laughs> thank All right. You. Okay, bye, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to Ask Arlo. Arlene Majorano has another episode of the podcast coming soon. So keep checking back on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. 
And be sure to visit AskArlo.com to ask questions and to find out more about the show. Until our next show, keep finding new ways to renew the relationships in your life.